Welcome all to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim Territories. My name is Matt, and join me in the living waters beneath the minds of Mandalore's Pete. Hello there, Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmet. Discuss Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Pete, always in motion the future is, and just yesterday we were talking about the show that we'll be podcasting in the future in June, that's Star Trek Strange New Worlds, specifically reflecting on the uh, really exciting Season 2 trailer uh, that podcast recorded yesterday and up right now. Yes, uh, dovetailing alongside our coverage of Star Trek Picard, finished season three here on the podcast we will be doing a series wrap tomorrow on the picard a star trek podcast by fantastic geek feed and talking about what may come next for that universe outside of of course star trek strange new worlds but uh kicking it into that other universe we podcast matt that marvel cinematic one uh guardians of the galaxy volume three hitting for previews uh this coming thursday may the 4th indeed pete the perhaps recently beleaguered mcu uh looking to have the uh the knockout experience here with guardians of the galaxy volume three pete as we speak right now uh, some of the some of the cast and James Gunn are out there doing the press circuit. Pete, people who didn't understand pre-existing contracts said that James Gunn would never touch a Marvel thing again. But here he is doing his contractually obligated, and I would dare say personally happy to do it. Uh, press for a thing that he made and for a you know contract he still needs to fulfill, despite the fact he's now part of DC. So we'll be podcasting that. We like to give a couple days. People get their feedback, their thoughts together. Chance to see that uh, for Marvel Monday, May 8th. Of course, we will keep an eye to the sky in a galaxy far, far away. Any Star Wars announcements made as part of May the 4th. Uh, But coming back to that universe Matt, which we'll talk more about in the body of this episode, some news yesterday about the uh, Damon Lindelof Star Wars movie that uh, he was apparently let go from. Yeah, it was an interesting uh, interview to read, honestly, to have him speak so candidly. I mean, I'm kind of reading it going, this is Hollywood where people don't really admit to failures. They just say didn't quite work out competing visions but lots of respect and love and he certainly still has respect and love for star wars respect and love for kathy kennedy lucasfilm etc but wants to come back would would come back i i just as i texted with you i i just don't fully understand this uh i've seen speculation that his story was set much further down the road that his Ray was going to be played by Helen Mirren. Um, I, I don't not like that. Uh, I, I don't also see it as a deal breaker, but 
I, and it, it's unconfirmed uh, without any any sense of, uh, you know, knowing that for sure. I, the interesting thing, too, I think, is for as much as Damon Lindelof has, you know, himself, these Grand Slam home runs, uh, lost, leftovers, Watchmen, and so forth. I, I remembered a similar candid interview that he gave that when he got the call for, uh, what was the Alien movie that he wrote? Was that Prometheus? Prometheus, that he uh, also did work uh, to a script that John Spates had been on as well. So that like when it was like, Sir Ridley Scott will be calling you shortly, he gets the call and he, he pulls over as he's driving in Los Angeles and heart racing and he waits an hour by the side of the road for the call and then he gets tapped on the shoulder to come to the Aliens universe, you know, and Prometheus not well thought of. He's the writer of Cowboy, uh, Cowboys and Aliens, World War Z, Tomorrowland, uh, Pete, I'm not trying to take shine off his crown. I'm just saying this is not, pardon me, but this is not Aaron Sorkin where you go, oh my goodness, it's just amazing after amazing. This is a guy who's had a bunch of hits. This is a guy who has had a bunch of misses. Um, so I don't know if it's a net win for Star Wars that they didn't go his direction. Like, where are we going to get the Damon Lindelof again, the, the Damon Lindelof of Watchmen lost and the leftovers or we're gonna get the damon lindelof of cowboys and aliens and tomorrowland um so maybe it's sometimes it's the movie you don't make uh if if i may i don't know turn a frown upside down here i listen i i can't uh say i'm not disappointed and really would be interested to see his take excited the possibility that He's still open to doing something with them. Maybe they get him in his, you know, wheelhouse of TV to do that. Speaking of TV, Matt, uh, our uh, Ahsoka podcast uh, by Fantastic Geek Feed now up on Apple Podcasts, our 34th feed Indeed, can't wait to uh, be adding to that feed as more show news comes out, particularly like we know it's going to be August. They have five Wednesdays to choose from. Can't wait for a date to be announced. Uh, One could assume there's probably going to be a rigorous uh, San Diego Comic-Con kickoff there for Ahsoka. Uh, Indeed, I even wondered is, uh, you know, are the Strange New Worlds dates this year uh, to get some sort of, um, uh, you know, interplay with with san diego comic-con and whatnot but but keeping it out of soca you know a lot of excitement for that show i think it's going to be a great late summer early fall uh presence on our tv screens uh, with a character that's really beloved and i think some of the decisions with the mandalorian clearly made with how soon after uh ahsoka would follow uh I, what makes you say that well, I mean, the decision, no uh, credit scene. The uh, penultimate episode with Captain Pelion and Thrawn and all that. You know, we don't need to make a, oh, yeah, and there's this show coming. And, oh, Ahsoka shows up on Mandalore and does lightsaber things and, and beats uh, Moff Gideon. Um Hey, here's a reference to a thing. A couple months later, oh my God, here's the thing. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for 
the Mandalorian Season 2 way of doing things, which, as I've said many times before, was setting up three shows, two of which have gone on uh, to be uh, made in some... Well, not made, <laughs> made, not, not made in some capacities. They've been made, period. One is out, one is not. Um, I think, too, the notion... I really feel like there's a certain portion of the audience out there, this core audience that's, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, Marvel, that are seeing all these things. Maybe there's a little fatigue for, like, you can only really appreciate uh, the the secret scene in Thunderbolts if you remember the supporting guy who was in two episodes of uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, who now we can speculate will be the baddie in Thunderbolts 2 coming out when you're collecting a pension. Like, <laughs> to keep things a little bit more, like, the, fine. The, it's the... the dates are now that far out. They, they don't give a year, but it, but it says viewer collecting a pension. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like wh- where in your career, where in your career will the payoff Social be? Social security recipient. Um, and maybe a discussion for another time is, I think that there's that, um, stretching that kind of silly puttification going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Again, we'll save that for another discussion. The notion that season two of the Mandalorian in the year 2020, and again, with some of this stuff, I think you can add, you know, a 12 month asterisk, uh, because of COVID slowing down the production and uh, productions in general, but you know, the character of Ahsoka introduced in season two of The Mandalorian, season three, as you're saying, Pete, we don't get direct story maintenance to lead off to uh, Ahsoka or Skeleton Crew, at least not directly, but we have some elements that are, that are kind of pointing towards it while also not turning it into what I think is sometimes a criticism, uh, not for me, not for you, but it has been a criticism of this season of The Mandalorian, which is, did you make sure to watch the other the other show and all seven episodes of The Book of Boba Fett, uh, which is not called The Mandalorian, but is its own show, but also was necessary viewing because it had two episodes of The Mandalorian in it. Um, so a little less connection is okay with me. I mean, okay. I, I think it's a valid criticism for people that only watch The Mandalorian, but I would also ask, why wouldn't you watch the book of Boba Fett, given that he first appeared on The Mandalorian, and people made such a big deal that, oh my goodness, The Mandalorian came in and hijacked the book of Boba Fett for a couple episodes. Uh, I, I don't know, like, Boba Fett appears in uh, chapter nine of the Mandalorian and then later in that second season and uh, gets spun into his own show in a post-credit scene. Um, Listen, I'll make no bones about, I am a fan of this third season. Uh, Is it their best season? I, I don't know. It was certainly their biggest season. You look at the audacity of the things that they did this return and retaking of Mandalore culminating in this two part battle at the uh, close of the season, a soft reboot of the show. So that season four can be the return of the week to week bounty hunter mission at the same time. Now we're doing these in a particular way with a particular goal in mind of, you know, eliminating imperial remnants um you bookend it 
you know, I've, I've rewatched the season actually a couple times and, you know, you, you bookend it with this, you know, Mandalorian covert and the, uh, ceremony there for Ragnar to take the, uh, the creed, uh, and then you close it at the end with that. I feel there's a symmetry. You got a big, uh, pirate battle there in the middle. You got even more Mandalorian action in there and you further expanded the universe uh with the coruscant intrigue and everything i i thought it was a really good season there's a certain overall and when i say overall i mean across this you know the three seasons of this show there's kind of a story there's a passivity that john favreau brings i don't mean to suggest that it's not exciting or engaging um, for example, I think of the, uh, the season one episode that's, you know, a take on the Magnificent Seven. It's just the Magnificent Mando and the Magnificent Cara Dune. Um, it, it doesn't overly lay into like, hey, we're doing a real Western episode. Like I think, for example, Pete contrasted with Star Trek Strange New Worlds where you say, this week is the costume drama. This week is the submarine episode. Jon Favreau doesn't do that with the Mandalorian so I think that when you get to this season, we are aware, but not hit over the head from the previous 16 chapters of things like Mando is um, deeply committed to his faith, kind of his his uh, covert version of, uh, of being a Mandalorian, and he has struggled a bit with what that means, or, or again, perhaps there hasn't been a huge struggle, but things like... Uh, does he settle down with the widow on that planet? No, he's going to continue to move on his solitary existence. Similarly, this notion of trying to return in this season, trying to return to be a full Mandalorian in the way that uh, that the armorer prescribes, that being a starting point for the first several episodes, and then that being an end point in terms of all Mandalorians coming together despite their... Their differences in their branches of faith to still be under the uh, under the tree under the umbrella of uh, of the common Mandalorian experience, and frankly, Pete, to get to the end where it's like where he officially has adopted Grogu, and now they have a home out there in the prairie. I think we had all just kind of taken for granted again in that wonderful John Favreau passive way. It's like, well, of course they're a family. He care they care for each other versus kind of making it official and saying those words and realizing that this season was about feeling feeling at a good place in your culture feeling at a good place in your family feeling at a good place in your home and and that being a resting place as we head into the time between seasons and you think about too you know each season has really pushed forward that relationship with Grogu to make it official now. Um, you know, I, I, I think it all makes sense from a logical aspect of, you know, what are they to one another that Grogu now is training to be a Mandalorian, um, that we continue to learn more about what that means and not an overwhelming info dump type of way, um, you know, pieces at a time. And the idea that, um, 
John Favreau has spoken to and Dave Filoni, of course, echoing as well, like they see no end to this show in sight. So that makes all the more sense you know, again, people down on, oh, I wasn't the mythosaur, you know, uh, stomping on people in the finale. And and how come Thrawn didn't come in? And how come, like, you know, there is time to get to all of these things when you don't have a, uh, all right, this is going to go six seasons, go 17 seasons, whatever it's going to be, that we're now 24 chapters into this if you want to add in the seven of the book of boba fett on top of that okay uh i would imagine ahsoka will use a chapter uh aspect as well kind of keeping with this um and you know this portion of the timeline that we now know after star wars celebration this year they're ultimately going to bring into a film directed by Dave Filoni. It moves it forward. It moves it forward enough, but at the same time, doesn't move it forward at a ridiculous rate because these are incremental entries, these chapters in a larger volume. Well, and I think too, if I may return again to the great success of our age, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe the Mandalorian is kind of like the Spider-Man of, at the very least, this portion of the Star Wars timeline, if not all Star Wars TV, in that, you know, super beloved, super kind of captures a zeitgeist and, you know, the not just Mando, but, you know, Grogu and kind of all of that stuff. But this is the season that says, you know, Spider-Man movies are going to be about Spider-Man and Avengers movies can have Spider-Man, but not be about Spider-Man which is to say this is the season that really does, you know, curls away from what season two did in terms of setting up other things and says, we're going to make it about, you know, everything Mandalorian, the Mandalorian, Mandalorian culture, the Mandalorian queen, the Mandalorian uh, priestess, and so forth and so forth, Um, which I think in that long-term vision that you're talking about is a way to really say to the audience, don't start counting down for when the Mandalorian movie, Star Avengers, the Dave Filoni-directed, untitled film, don't start the countdown for that. Look ahead to next season when it's, um, you know, presumably bounty hunting stuff of the week or maybe dealing with some sort of tangential, um, you know, background fallout of things that happen in Ahsoka or things that happen in Skeleton Crew, whatever it might be. Um, but to not kind of get caught up. And again, I don't mean to be hammering this nonstop for a criticism of Marvel, but to not get caught up in the next, the next, the next, this is the season of Mandalorian that focuses on the now. And I think it's also setting the pace for future seasons to focus on the now on what's going on that season and to not make sure that you tick 18 story boxes so that when Skeleton Crew Season 3 crosses over with Ahsoka Season 4, we can adequately know that Mando needs to find the gem in Mando Season 5 to then take us <laughs> to the movie. Like, again, I think that John Favreau and Dave Filoni, as they expand their portion of the Star Wars universe, are also reading the fandom correctly, that there is a little bit fatigue in terms of needing to keep track of everything kind of detective notebook style for your 
make fun pretend shows that you watch for fun and not for work. Yes. Uh, keeping in mind, of course, that they spun Vane off into the Skeleton Crew show. Um, so there is that. But yeah, I couldn't agree more with the aspect of em- embrace the now. And this season, uh, Bo-Katan, in one episode of the show prior to that, you know, a, a co-star in this season to watch the change there to bring in all the Mandalorians we've seen the date again. <laughs> what's what's the arc? <laughs> Off on their own, being preyed upon by monsters, back on their home. Yes, potential still to be preyed upon in monsters and and needing to settle down uh, and and make uh, more stable roots, but still doing that and in a place familiar to many of them um and that mando can come and go in this story with grogu he's still going to be a part of that but again being able to go off on their own and do things that'll bring them to mandalore and you know have them communicate with them but then to go off and and do their own thing uh but i i look back at this season and you know you 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 got to Tatooine. You went to Coruscant. We're back on Navarro to see the growth there. You bring in, I think, this uh, you know interesting aspect of pirates. You know, we've had these alien scoundrel types of characters before. What in Jabba's orbit and things like that. But that's an evolution. Uh, now a power vacuum without the empire, you know, stamping those out and, you know, the new Republic can only do so much and, and what's gone on with the new Republic and the seeming ineffectivity at a distance of that and Carson Teva and, and his role both here and going forward. So there was a lot going on in this season, as much as we talk about the, the passivity of it. And, you know, I'm looking at this episode list saying, did I like chapter 19, the convert? Did I like that one the best? That's the one, that's the Dr. Pershing episode. That's the Coruscant episode. That's the one that if you want to throw rocks, you can say, Mando and Bo-Katan go, oh man, there's trouble. To light speed we go. And then they're out of the story for the next 40 minutes. Then they go, coming out of light speed. Hey, let's go live with the Mandalorians. And look, I took a bath. The end. I really enjoyed the Coruscant stuff. And I don't... Making a longer episode of Mandalorian. They're not long enough. But also, uh, make it only things I want to see and not other things that advance the larger story that I don't know I don't want to see. Yeah, I mean, the Dr. Pershing character as presented this season is super interesting in terms of I think it's in line with what we've seen in the past in terms of him being uh like you know don't hurt the baby and things of that sort and kind of um having a kindness to him uh in an unkind empire on, yeah. on his own but then to get more of him here to get Elia Kane as the double agent I mean it's, it's just very very compelling to get this notion of uh, how does the New Republic integrate the Empire into what's 
into the new republic and, and former imperial people and all of that. I find it very, very fascinating. Now, if Kathy Kennedy calls me up tomorrow and says, hey, would you like to you know, co-run Lucasfilm? Maybe I'm the one pitching, hey, let's do a West Wing Star Wars type show. And somebody else who's smarter than me is going to say, yeah, that probably is going to quickly turn people off because it has no no blasters and no lightsabers and no Jedi and no Mandalorian. Like, there's probably a bunch of reasons to not do that as a show, but I loved it in this show, um, particularly with the foreknowledge that this New Republic is going to fundamentally fail to keep, you know, fail in its uh, basic job of uh, having a an, an efficient and functioning government. Um, again, I just find all of that wildly interesting as much as I could then say, well, two episodes later, I love the pirate episode because we have full on pirate stuff and turn the ship around and, you know, there's, there's space cannons and there's, you know, there's, there's a big giant ship wheel as things turn around. Like it, it, the fact that this season could be so much, I celebrate that. And we got the, the pirate battle and all that and and several you know dog fights throughout this season you know and other people again why didn't we get a dog fight at the end of the season well you did get some space battle stuff that didn't really go with the action that was taking place but you know the coruscant stuff in the establishment of this amnesty program which then I think tucks perfectly into chapter 22 guns for hire, where we bring in Jack Black's captain Bombardier, a member of that program who is now part of the leadership of Plazier 15. And, Oh, Hey, we have these guns that we have hired. And, Oh, before you talk to them, need a solid here. Again, it it's not what people have, um, you know, derided as side quest. It's part of advancing the narrative. This is plot. This is arc. This is season long story. These pieces are not disconnected. And as you know, one of my favorite. Uh ways to discuss the Mandalorian is that you can't really know a season until the season is complete. As you point out, we've had the amnesty program established in the convert. And then we, you know, and I think legitimate, legitimate at the time, let alone, we know that Aliyah Kane ends up, you know, being a baddie, but legitimate questions. Is she converted or not? Is she good or not? Then when we get to guns for hire, we see, you know, it's beloved Jack Black. Ooh, is he going to do a heel turn in the second half? No, he's legitimately a guy who's like, I'm sorry for the thing I did, and I don't need to wear this badge that says I've been a naughty boy, but here I am just trying to make this planet a better place. I have found love. I want to help the people, etc., etc. Um, at, at worst, the the cap the character of Captain Bombardier is a little bit of go- of a goofball, but he's well meaning through and through. So. The point being, I think that even though even though we didn't watch that episode and say, Pete, let's now go back and see how that impacts our views on the amnesty program, I think the effect was for us to say, a bad amnesty person, question mark? Oh, here's a good amnesty person, which let us take our foot off the gas a little bit for when Aliyah Kane does show up again. Again, I don't think that we ever su- stopped uh, suspecting her, but I think that 
I think that the Guns for Hire episode was enough for us to say, well, maybe you can go through the program and be a goodie at the end. I, you know, I'm not quite sure. And you can see how that episode impacts the finale and so forth. I mentioned it in last week's podcast about the final episode of the season, Chapter 24, The Return. But I'll reiterate here because it works for this third season. We're, we're following up after Andor, a super critical darling. Uh, interestingly, Matt, views were not as high for that. However, um, a victim of its own success here for Star Wars because people are now judging The Mandalorian, which everybody pretty much universally loved through the first two seasons, through the lens of Star Wars after Andor. Um, and that's fair, but is it necessarily? Uh, in that different points of the timeline, different types of shows, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and to keep this as the post-Return of the Jedi, this particular time, these particular characters and types of events as opposed to the ratcheting up of power of the empire and the intrigue and that kind of stuff there they're different tones they're different shows it's a different amount of content i mean ultimately by the time that andor airs its second season streams its second season before uh mandalorian season four streams they will have both had 24 episodes um but radically different and i i just don't think people are rightly evaluating one against the other when they are so different yet at the same time different points in the timeline same universe and uh, I'll just reiterate again, the notion that this show is John Favreau's kind of creative incubator, along with being the product of his creative incubation, you know, here he is, we have, you know, new directors in the fold this season, new to The Mandalorian, uh, Rachel Morrison, director of photography for many things, including Black Panther, Lee Isaac Chung, uh, Peter Ramsey, uh, in terms of being new directors, I think that part of the joy John Favreau is getting out of this show is not just the end product, but empowering fellow creative people to go out there and not make the next great Star Wars show necessarily, um, but to to go out and see a new way of, of perspective here. I know I came across, uh, I believe it was an interview with him, or maybe they were something on YouTube where they were quoting him, but um, kind of how he has he has realized all the strengths of the volume and the led wall and all of that. But that when you want direct, you know, part of the reason that they went to kind of a bunch of murky planets and part of the reason that the story did things like, you know, the planet in chapter 16, the Jedi were like, all oh, the trees are burned down and the sky is hazy. Part of it is because the led wall does that really well, but doesn't do hard sun, uh, hard sunlight. Well, and his quote was, if you want to do hard sunlight, the best place to do that is, in hard sunlight outside. So right. again, I think I think just this notion that John Favreau, the director, is enjoying showing people this technology and showing ways that they can be creative within it. And then John Favreau, the writer, is also saying, 
um, yeah, I'm kind of tired of going to murky planets and stuff. So let's come up with other alternatives. For example, uh, Coruscant at night done really, really well on the LED wall. Uh, think back, Pete, to you know how many lengthy exterior shots do we have on Coruscant during the day? I don't think it's a ton in this show. Um, but also just, you know, so, so I think that he's saying as he gets ready to write a season, where can I write? And it's really interesting to say the page can take me anywhere, but the LED can only take me to certain places and that that's a creatively unshackled place that he can be versus other shows where it's like, don't forget, bring it back to the bar at Cheers or bring it back to the camp at MASH or bring it back to the headquarters for your police show, fire show, whatever it might be. And I think that's all part of the juice there that he's following where he wants to go creatively. And if you like what he, he's done in some, some episodes, you should support him for the ones where even if you're not crazy about it. And, you know, the divisive episode in this season, that 22nd chapter where they go to Plazir 15, okay, and you get some really big character cameos. It's so different than a lot of what we've seen to this point, much like the the Coruscant one, which is also singled out, uh, the convert. Um, there, a lot of stuff during the day in these domed cities. I mean, Matt, we didn't talk about it when it happened. People were like, oh, you know, aren't you brought in prequel droids, battle droids, and super battle droids? And then one of them ran, and, you know, Christopher Lloyd is a is a bad guy. I mean, thank goodness that super battle droid didn't get up to 88 miles per hour. We were going to see some real stuff. Um, well, and you know what? Look, we all love Christopher Lloyd. And was it a surprise that he was a baddie because he's a goodie in all our hearts? Yes. But let's just rewind there. It surprised us that he was the baddie. Like, good job. I, I, I frankly did not see that coming. And honestly, in a show that is not... In a show like The Mandalorian, in a story universe like Star Wars, which is not necessarily out there to reflect the times the way, say, a Star Trek is or the way sometimes the MCU is, um, you know, let it not be forgotten here, Pete, that uh, Commissioner Hellgate is a very staunch uh, pro-Confederacy kind of guy, um, and, and that's a... That's a passive John Favreau way, I think, of taking a bit of a stand that the Confederacy guy is bad, period. You know, and again, I'm not saying it's incumbent upon John Favreau to take more of a stand on public, uh, or pardon me, uh, modern topics and politics and that sort of thing. But, you know, we had our expectations subverted and we got a little, a little commentary, I would argue, on the past, maybe the present and so forth. Um, in an episode that, you know, had a bunch of surprising things like Jack Black and Lizzo. And the droid stuff throughout the season, the Din Djarin is going to go back to Mandalore. And, oh, I'm also minding this little foundling that uh, I want to make sure is protected while I do this. And do I need uh, to take further steps with that, trying to revive IG-11, bringing in the Anzellan droid smiths there. So you're servicing sequel trilogy stuff. You're furthering the original trilogy and the prequels at the same time and 
still continuing to set up other content coming. I, I think they they squared up a lot of things here. And I I think it was an entertaining story. Again, is it my favorite season? I don't know. I will continue here with the idea it was their biggest. It was another chapter. And we, we got a lot of stuff. What what was not to enjoy? Yeah, and you know what? Maybe this season was always going to be defined by the Luke Skywalker reveal in you know at the end of season two, which again I think is one of the great season cliffhangers. Perhaps perhaps it's too early to say in television history, but boy, it sure did. It sure did. It sure did get people you know to sit up and pay attention and all of that. So I think to consciously not chase that particular high again, to consciously make it not ending up at a point where we're on, you know, when we're on a bad guy ship with a Jedi there, a bad guy ship slash station, and then we're kind of in a base, which, you know, again, there's only so far you can go away from the core of Star Wars and still be Star Wars, but they, they moved the core of this show away from core aspects of season two and that's that's for the embetterment of this show when we get to a season four five six however long this thing is going to go star wars has to evolve i'm a luke skywalker guy but the idea that you're going to continually return to that is only going to be for so much and for so long if things don't change are we going to continue to go down the digitally de-aged route will they ultimately cast a performer like a sebastian stan or whatever i had argued at one point you know let's let's do the animated uh luke um show with uh, a young uh ben solo and to to carve out that uh does it happen in live action do they only intersperse bits of it here and there again these are all choices i'm not uh in a position unfortunately that i can make uh but i'm gonna watch with anticipation and eagerness what they put out here and i really enjoy this mandalorian story and i'm also excited to see where it's gonna go what will it look like the next time we go to Mandalore akin to the growth we've seen on Navarro? What threats, where's the evolution of their story? Will some of them be continuing to take on uh, bounties and jobs so that they can further uh, reestablish their home worlds? Does that run them, uh, you know, afoul of the new Republic and create tension with what Din Djarin's going to be doing with Carson Teva. Um, and then, you know, what is the fallout from Ahsoka and Skeleton Crew that then comes back into this show? So uh, there, there's a lot going on in this particular time. Uh, we're getting more this year, probably more next year with Skeleton Crew. Again, let it play out. As you've said, you judge these seasons at the end, and I think judged from beginning to end, you know, you, you had a complete arc. You had a complete, um, you know, idea within this season. 
Pete, let's see what other people thought about the season. We had uh, run the question on uh, on Twitter what you what you the listeners thought uh, about this continued journey here. Uh, some replies. Noel Gardner at Noel Camille said, "Overall, enjoyed the season." Some episodes seemed a little disjointed, and that may have been in response to the full cutaway episodes of Book of Boba Fett, but I don't uh, but I didn't mind. I do need Grogu to start talking for real. I'm excited for what all uh, for what's next for all Mandalorians. Uh, Pete, interesting that Noel should mention that. I know I saw a number of uh, articles written by professional people that were like, come on, he needs to be talking already. That's personally not my take, but what's yours? He, he, he talked this season. <laughs> yes, yes, no, yes. The the calculus with how you move, maybe the most beloved character in popular culture right now, I'd include Groot in that conversation as well, has to be precise. You suddenly age him up and it it doesn't quite work. You're done. You're done. Um, it has to be enough like what has come before, but just different enough. All right, we put him in a robot for a couple episodes and hey, he talked, he communicated the, the babbling. Uh, if you're going to ultimately have him speak, communicate, on his own, through his own voice, that's going to have to be something that's done on a longer timeline. We hear from Arya Needs a Spinoff at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. I enjoyed it all. Some great action moments that you don't, uh, that you generally aren't going to see on television, at least not looking as good. Loved seeing the other Mandalorians and seeing the home world and the current residents. The ending was perfect for a season or a series. JT Adkins, JTA is me, says loads of fun this season was. I see what he did there. I uh, I would like uh, to coin the term Mandalorian Eukinism, which would describe the unity of the two very different Mandalorian sects, which is a great counterpoint to today's tendency to tribalism. Less seriously, is Mando now the Section 31 of Star Wars? <laughs> um. I'm not quite sure about the second point. I do like the first point there, and it's actually one that had not occurred to me that maybe the whole season, the life message to all of us is work with the people, not based on, you know, uh, because of your, you know, or don't not work because of the differences. Work through the differences and focus on what you have in common. Pete, was the whole season a, a lesson for politics in this world? And that people wanted to make the spies episode about betrayal who's who's gonna undercut them who's who's gonna come from within and and create further conflict it it does not and ultimately did not happen to be that way last tweet comes from spider ham lincoln tess lc 139 there were several great moments and several good episodes but overall this was a lackluster season compared to the first two live action star wars is a blessing that i don't take for granted and i love it for what it is looking forward to season four pete what do you have there over on patreon on patreon matt uh 60 percent of our participants in the poll said that it was an epic third season. Uh, 20% uh, warmth is fading a bit. 15% the best Star Wars TV season yet. And 5% dying embers. 
Audrey Freeman wrote in to say this season was lackluster. And really, how many times was Bo-Katan or Grogu going to save him? Is he just getting old? No fire. Uh, and I actually hated the Dr. Pershing episode. Oof. Okay. All perspectives are welcome here, just like all who stand before the great forge on Mandalore. <laughs> or uh, show up in a droid cantina and, uh, you know, just want to help the, the nice people, Matt. Um, on Facebook, uh, Robert T. Frost had written in to our Chapter 24 uh, post here. Uh, Hi, Matt and Pete. Darn, I think I'm late in getting this posted. The Mandalorian season finale, the question is, did they stick the landing? Um, no. It feels like they stuffed 10 pounds of story into a five-pound episode. Number one, where the hell did Grogu come from? Uh, he exited with bo last episode. Was his rescue route left on the cutting room floor, or did I miss something? Two, gotta call Story Bull that Din Djarin, Grogu, and Bo-Katan survived the crashing and exploding light cruiser into Moff Gideon's base. Yes, Grogu is obviously very strong with the Force, but an exploding starship is more than just flames. I question the story and reality that the base wasn't totally destroyed in the explosion. R.I.P. Moff Gideon. As a villain, I'm truly sorry to see you go, but maybe the galaxy isn't big enough for you and Grand Admiral Thawne. Number three, I'm glad that he says Ace Woves. We know that he means Axe Woves and the armorer aren't spies. That said, his escape from the crashing cruiser, Mandalorian armor being space slash vacuum worthy and her charging in with reinforcements tastes a little too vanilla for me last episode stuff it all in make it fit happy resolutions a saccharine sweet ending and it's making my teeth hurt number four great action sequences fantastic fights what is din Djarin's cape made of asbestos fibers sorry to see i love the new sheriff in town not the best season finale we've uh been treated to but all in all excellent season overall i'll definitely be back for number four or is it season five in matt math till next time your friend bob <laughs> um season four season five whatever it might be i think pete here's the here's the takeaway there some tough criticism some some perspectives there that i might not share but the fact that bob is back for next season uh, if nothing else, I suppose gives the show an opportunity to redeem itself in his uh, in his eyes. To the email inbox we go, uh, hearing from Steve Adams, who says, "Ordinarily, when I hear someone talk about how great the Last Jedi was, as Pete did during the Star Wars Day rundown, I automatically ignore the rest of what they say. But it's Pete, so I give him a pass." In seriousness, I did enjoy this third season quite a bit, even if I do consider it to be the least great season so far. I love Bo-Katan and the growth we got to see in her. Grogu became much more than a decoration, and it was believable. I've really enjoyed seeing the dive into Mandalorian culture. In many ways, it reminded me how the Klingons were fleshed out, becoming a vital part of the story in Star Trek lore. 
I get why you guys think Gideon is not really dead, but this is the problem with clone stories. You can kill a character every single episode and just bring them back as a clone. Sooner or later becomes a huge albatross for the story. I love the Star Wars universe and the stories it tells. I may not love every detail of every episode or movie, but it is fun and entertaining, and in the end, that's why we're all here. I don't pay attention to the keyboard warriors because I just want to enjoy Star Wars without obsessing over it. Just give me a good story that doesn't completely wreck continuity and I am happy. And this show has kept me happy. I eagerly look forward to season four. I also look forward to hearing your thoughts. As always, until next time, stay fantastic. Pete, that's from Steve. Thanks, Steve. And I agree. I think maybe we need to put aside, you know, the the jockeying that goes on about this my goodness there's there's just so much and and keep it to what's there keep it to the story that we're talking about that we're obviously tuning in for you know hence there we are if i could take a note from steve and pass it on to john favreau uh it would be this um i kind of like what steve is saying here about the downside of clone stories and so forth so maybe and I know that, like in the pre- in these three seasons of Mandalorian, Moff Gideon has only really showed up a little bit anyway. But maybe what you do is for season four, you make multiple references throughout the season to how he really is dead and how he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. <laughs> and then you save for like a post credit scene. You sit and go. You sit and do the you know, I'm back and here he is coming out of the spider hole with a beard, that kind of thing. Um, which is to say, really push more Moff Gideon stuff out of the fourth season, all but entirely, and into a fifth season, something like that, to just give a little bit of a little bit of space and and to you know, if we are right that it was a clone or the main clone is out there, or there's a, you know whatever they're going to do with cloning, maybe that doesn't need to be a season four thing. I understand that obviously you may not stipulate to the great Giancarlo Esposito was played one of the greatest. TV villain characters of all time with Gus Fring across two series. Hey, you know, we need you to grow the mustache back or you want to wear a mustache. You don't want to wear a mustache, whatever it is. Is that part of a larger design that none of these uh, Moff Gideons had a mustache and there is one we've seen before? Is it a visual cue? Uh, is there symbolism to it or is it just, you know, John, I kind of, I'm tired of wearing a mustache and I was doing another role and I was coming in and out of this and didn't have time to grow a mustache. And thank goodness, Matt, they didn't pull a Superman uh, and give him a mustache and, or then try to take away the mustache digitally. Um, we're we're going to have to see how it plays out. I, for one, hope that there is more Giancarlo Esposito coming in Star Wars, more Moff Gideon, and that you had him so disdainful of Grand Admiral Thrawn. And, you know, for those that don't know the looming shadow of that character, have just started to see it, uh, you know, check out some of those books, in particular that original Timothy Zahn trilogy from the 1990s when we were completely in a fallow period for star wars or hit up your rebels or some of these uh you know more recent books like matt has checked out um and to create conflict and tension there 
imagine Matt, as we've, you know, rarely ever seen conflict within the empire and that you could see some sort of civil type of war go on there. I mean, maybe there's even a, a pathway to redemption possibly. I'm, I'm not saying it's, it's anywhere near definitive and certainly it would take growth on Gideon's behalf. We, we know that Thrawn's going to be, well, we expect that he's going to be the, the bad guy, although there's, there's a pathway for that to change as well. What with some of the stuff they've done previously with the character. Um, but I, I think it's interesting and it sets up a lot of possibilities and uh, I, I hope we get him back. Pete, from the looming intellectual presence of Grand Admiral Thrawn from the Chiss, we now go to the looming intellectual presence of Grand Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Season 3 of The Mandalorian. Whoa, am I happy that you just told me last episode of your podcast that there will be a fourth season well i could have looked it up on the internet probably but i didn't so you made me very happy pete because i really like this series i think i would give it an a this whole season so that would mean a nine or something like that on imdb what i find slightly annoying is that we never see pedro pascal i even wonder if we saw him at all in this season I mean, there should be some private moments that we could see him. It's just all the time this helmet. Well, with Katie Sackhoff and Bokatan, they solved it in a better way. Two of the arty things I like a lot in this series. One is the music and two is the conceptual art. Always great to use as a wallpaper, at least for a while. Okay, that was all. Till next season, greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, we did, uh, Fred, actually see Pedro Pascal on the screen, albeit under the helmet. Um, it was confirmed by the actress who played kind of like the, the droid morgue technician that that's Pedro under the helmet in that scene. It's the nature of the character right now that he's not taking the helmet off and he was also back and forth uh shooting in vancouver for uh the last of us part one so there's there's that to kind of juggle as well it's gonna be interesting to see you know what with what they did with bo katan that you can walk both worlds and the helmet can come off if that's ever a thing once pedro pascal is more available again and being able to do that and oh i i can take this this path now yeah we want to see him without the helmet but it's also the nature of the character so we allow, allow it i would say conversely too john favreau and dave filoni have invented a show that doesn't require anybody right which is to say if pedro pascal you know decides at the end of his current star wars contract that he's not Coming well, let me do it this way. But that, that's an extreme example. Pedro Pascal should always be available to run a season's worth of lines, right? Anytime you need it. Beyond that, you know, oh, Katie Sackhoff says, I'm gonna retire from acting and uh, you know, run an alpaca farm. Okay, guess what? Bo Katan's not gonna show up anymore. There's gonna be somebody else. Um, 
oh man, puppeteer number four doesn't want to do the uh, the the feet and the right arm of Grogu. Okay, uh, puppeteer number five, you just got a promotion, and we're gonna train a new puppeteer number five. Like, it's interesting from that regard that this show really could go on, um, in that in that way. Um, and I don't know how much that is baked into it. I don't, you know, I know Favreau doesn't have a ton of TV experience. I know he's obviously well experienced in Hollywood and, you know, things like, Oh man, ER is a hit. (laughs) People don't want to come to work for season two. They're not feeling well. They would feel better if they did a contract, uh, reevaluation and got more money. Oh, they did. Now they're willing to come to work. Like none of that is an issue now. It's just, Again, you have a show where everybody's replaceable, which I'm not wishing on anybody. But yeah. if you're the writer, creator, director, producer, sure, sure is awful freeing. You can take the story anywhere you want to go. Right, and established at the end of that first episode, it's, it's the Krogu show too. That's part of it. The idea that you weren't going to have him in this third season that he would have stayed with Luke I think is really misgotten we like this found family and they've further driven and cemented that home in this third season like none other Uh, so yeah we want more adventures with these two we want the cast of characters that they've come to interact with to both remain the same and to grow uh much like the child um so more of it coming not soon enough it'll probably be 2025 but in the interim we're gonna have other uh stories come in and out to dovetail with this narrative and certainly pete this is not even the conclusion of our season three reflections when the disney gallery for season three of the mandalorian comes out the behind the scenes there you know really looking forward to that um i think that when they shifted from the shorter episodic model to here's an hour here's an hour and 15 minutes on the season um i know last season obviously they did a whole one on the finale and how that came together uh, as well but Looking forward to that, looking forward to the behind the scenes, things that we might glean from that. So though the Mandalorian feed is going somewhat into hibernation, it's kind of not full kind of carbonite hibernation. It's just just away <laughs> for a little while, um, particularly as we turn our attention to new Star Trek, new Star Wars, new Marvel and all of that. Ahsoka is going to be really exciting. And I think people are going to, if they haven't already, find Star Wars Rebels I think it'll further connections both with this Mandalorian time. I mean, Sabine, man, like people are all like, oh, why didn't we get Sabine in the finale? You, you have Sabine coming. <laughs> it's it's right there. And we've, we've seen uh, more of it steadily over the last year in, in dribs and drabs from some, you know, official and unofficial sources but we're gonna fully get that and and the excitement there that there could be the the fourth season of the mandalorian could have sabine uh appearing with the the mandalorians if that doesn't happen on ahsoka you remember we've got to service that story first uh but just so many possibilities right now so many of them super 
exciting and, you know, just grateful to be able to talk to our listeners about all this. Well, and certainly this entire season-long journey has been made possible by those who support us on Patreon.com slash FantasticGeek and our ongoing thanks to those who keep that support alive. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels to choose from. You pick the value you place on the podcast, but it takes just a dollar a month to get through that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating or review to any of our 34 now podcast feeds. Ahsoka could really use some love uh, with some some uh, reviews, some ratings early on so that by August people getting pushed towards that because of Apple Podcasts, Algorithm, Marvel Secret Invasion, any of those you can hit up there. It'd be awesome. And uh, thanks again. And Pete, how can we keep the Star Wars conversation going with you on social media? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,864 followers can't be wrong. And Matt, you know, keep in mind too, other kind of end of this Lucasfilm universe, be continuing on with our Indiana Jones journey uh, as the calendar turns to May, getting ready for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny in June. Uh, and Pete, certainly people could find me on Twitter's Look Back Lost. Uh, and of course, you can find Fantastic Geek on Instagram, Gmail, and uh, fantasticgeek.com as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Looking forward to talking about the behind the scenes for Mandalorian Season 3 when that comes out. Looking forward in the near future, as you said, Pete, Indiana Jones uh, got a Star Trek Picard season to wrap up, series to wrap up on the Pop Culture Podcast feed tomorrow and other goodies in the near future. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final Season 3 word. Talk to you soon.